Konnichiwa! Welcome to the Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm your host, Dan West. Why did I just say good day to you in Japanese? Well, you'll have to wait for the last word segment to find out, but I'll give you a hint. It has to do with Ryan Zinke saying it to a Japanese-American congresswoman from Hawaii, Colleen Hanabusa, during a March 15th House Natural Resources Committee hearing to go over the FY 2019 Interior Department budget. It was awkward, but deserves to be talked about a little bit more. Joining me for this episode is Democratic House candidate John Heenan. John is a lawyer and small business owner from Billings who is leading the Democratic field to challenge Greg Gianforte in November. Before getting to that, a quick word about the Montana Mint and the D.C. update. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, the Montana Mint supports this podcast because they recognize our effort to make politics more accessible to the people of Montana. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out the Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com or follow them on Facebook. Subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics, and check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. Here's the D.C. update. The biggest news out of D.C. is the passage of a $1.3 trillion spending bill that funds the government through the rest of the fiscal year, 18. In the end, it turned out to be a relatively clean bill with few riders that increased both defense and domestic spending. The bill passed both chambers last week with bipartisan support. Senator Tester voted for it, and Senator Daines and Congressman Gianforte actually ended up voting against it, even though they supported certain things the bill as it was getting crafted. They claimed that they couldn't vote for it because of the spending increases. But there's actually a lot of good stuff for Montana in the bill. Senator Tester held a Facebook town hall event in his office the day after the vote to take questions from followers on social media. I'll let him explain what was in the spending package that affects Montana. Well, the weather out here is uh, a little different than it is in Montana, although earlier this week they shut the government down because of snow. It snowed all of uh, maybe an inch, two on the outside. Um, Made good for driving because nobody was on the road. Our office was still open, but many of the offices were not. So, look, last night, uh, sometime after midnight, uh, we passed a a budget bill that would fund the government till the end of September. There were some good things in this bill for Montana. There was a a wildfire funding fix so that uh, when we have forest fires, and we do, last year we burnt over 1.25 million acres, that we aren't going to continue to rob the Forest Service budget. That's good for the forest because now we'll be able to do the maintenance, whether there's trails or campgrounds or preparing for timber cuts uh, or whatever it may be, making sure we have clean water and clear air for fish and elk and wildlife habitat. This wildfire funding fix is a giant step forward. It's something we've been fighting for for six, seven years and, uh, and got it done. There's money in it for border security, particularly uh, uh, grants uh, to form partnerships between uh, local police departments, county police departments, municipal, municipal police departments and highway patrol, and uh, Customs and Border Protection, uh, developing synergy there so that we can really protect our border and, and keep our, our country safe. There's firefighting grants. To in, in this bill that will allow uh, local fire departments, both volunteer and professional, to be able to buy equipment 
and to be able to uh, get training so that we have the best first responders possible on the ground. There's uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in it for broadband construction, which is critically important. There's a rural residency program so we can get more docks on the ground. We all know in Montana how important that is, whether it's uh, MDs or physician's assistants or nurse practitioners or nurses. We need more mental health medical professionals and mental health professionals on the ground. Funds a TRIO program, which helps first-generation students uh, uh, attain a college degree. Um, helps with national park maintenance. As you know, we got two of the greatest national parks in the country in Montana, in Yellowstone and Glacier. Their maintenance and their deferred maintenance is a big issue. Uh, so there's some dollars in there to help uh, remedy some of those problems. And then and then there's the Southwest Montana Butte's Veterans Home that was written about today in the Standard and, and uh, Butte Standard and reported on the radio and in TV. It's a big deal, something I've been fighting for for um, close to a decade, and it's something that the people of, of Butte have been fighting for for even longer than that. And uh, uh, get that funded is a, is a big deal for Montana and even a bigger deal for the veterans in southwestern Montana. It's a, it's a good project. It's a project that uh, is long overdue uh, coming to fruition. I encourage you to check out the video, which I'll link to the website, because he gives a tour of his office before sitting down to answer questions. That's it for the DC update. Here's my conversation with John Heenan. On today's show, I have uh, John Heenan, a congressional candidate for Montana's House seat, John, thanks so much for coming on the show, and let's just get right to it. Let's start at the beginning. Where does your Montana story start? Dan, thanks for having me, Dan. Um, so I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I transferred. I was going to uh, Westchester University my freshman year, which is outside of Philadelphia, and I transferred to the University of Montana sight unseen. Uh, for my sophomore year. So I guess I arrived in Montana when I was 19 years old and fell in love like all of us that come to Montana do. And I met my now wife, Megan, when I was, I guess we would have been juniors. And we got married after a week after we graduated from college. So we had both just turned 22 years old. My wife's from Billings. Um, but we, she was teaching there in Missoula, and I, I was, well, I guess I graduated with a philosophy degree, and so okay. my guidance counselor told me, he said, John, with this degree, you can, you know, be a bartender, or you can drive trucks, or, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and so I, uh, I took my degree, and I was an over-the-road truck driver for about a year. Um, somewhere in there, I drove school bus in Missoula for a while. I drove a forklift for a while. Wow. And I worked at this kind of uh, dysfunctional uh, factory and dysfunctional in terms of the bosses were always fighting with one another. And, you know, it was, it was a chaotic environment. And, and my wife uh, said, you know, you should go back to school, but um, make, you know, make sure, make sure there's, there's a, a a job that's going to pay the student loans. So you you then go to law school because I know you're a lawyer, but I, I got to stop you yeah, there yeah. because there's some interesting tidbits there. First, you grew up in Pennsylvania. 
there's somebody else I know who also started their life in Pennsylvania, and that's Greg Gianforte. Um, and I think that's pretty funny. I, that's probably the only similarity you have with him. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to point that out. And then secondly, you were a truck driver. Yeah, so to your first point, there's no, you know, if one thing voters can be assured of is that there won't be all the, you know, where where are you from? And frankly, uh, you know, I I'd never contemplated running for office, but I really just, uh, for a lot, for a number of reasons, I thought this was, you know, this, this would be a good time to, a good time to run because, you know, that that card is not going to get played, and I think yeah, you know, two third two thirds of Montanans are from somewhere else. I mean, I, you know, what I say to everyone is, is, uh, you know, you, I know how lucky I am to live here, and I tell my four kids that they're you know they're lucky to be Montanans and and be from here because it's it's a place to be proud of. But I think, you know. Two thirds of us came from somewhere else. I've been here as long as I had a say in the matter since I was 19 years old, and I think you know those those swipes at kind of where you're from. I I think grow tired. You know, wear a lot of people down. Yeah, I guess and that then, was the point I was getting to. Is like that's what I meant. Is that like the the whole nativist uh, line of of messaging that sometimes happens in in a in a montana political race it it's not gonna it's not gonna be there should you win the primary and take on um mr gianforte but um the fact that you moved out here sight unseen at 19 years old i think that's uh that says something about your uh trailblazing or pioneering spirit too so i think montanans respect that you know, and for, for a number of reasons, I always tease my wife that she'd be a much better candidate than me. But that's that's one of the reasons that she's, you know, she's third generation and uh, checks that box. So I I uh, tuck behind her and, and make sure everyone knows that, you know, she was born in Haver and has family in the Bitterroot and grew up in Billings. Nice. That counts. That counts. So, okay, so you were a trucker for a little bit. We have to talk about that. What, yeah, so. Where, where, what were your routes? So it, where did you go? Well, in that year that I, in that year that I drove truck, I, I went to every state in the lower 48. Wow. I worked for a great company in Missoula called Watkins Shepherd. Yeah. And my main route was Montana to California. Um, but they would, they sent me all over the place. And as you can imagine, it was quite an adventure, you know, a, a good time for a good time for a young guy to, to see the country and have a lot of adventures. Yeah. And, and contemplate what he's going to do next, which is, I guess, for you <laughs> yeah, is I don't know that there was, go to yeah, law school. There might not have been too much contemplation at the time, but <laughs> you know, just, I, I love people. I love, I love meeting people. And it was such a neat, you know, it was just a neat way to I just be in, meet a lot of people from all different walks of life. Good people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, well, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I, I think you were. So we were at your life story, uh, the part where you started going to law school. Yeah, and I tell you too, I'd share kind of my you know my my dumb joke is I always you know 
when given the chance, tell people that I, I finished first in my class. And that's true to the extent I've, you know, in truck driver school, I was, uh, I, I did finish first in my class. So <laughs> that's uh, something you should be really proud of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Put it on my resume. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to law school. You studied at the University of Montana School of Law. Yep. Yep. Nice. And then, um, and then, yeah, what, what, what did you do with, with your degree after you graduated? So in law, in law school, they have a, a great, what's called clinical program where you get to, you know, practice being a lawyer. Now you, and what I did was I represented college students in landlord tenant cases and creditor cases. And so that really fostered in me the love of what I do now or, you know, have been doing up until I started this uh, campaigning a couple months ago, which is consumer protection law. But when I, when I graduated, I came to Billings, I worked for a judge here, um, Mm -hmm. did that for two years and then worked for a great lawyer here in Billings, uh, Cliff Edwards for two years. And then I, I formed my own firm so that I could focus on, um, this kind of niche of the law called consumer protection. Hmm. Could you uh, just explain that a little bit more? Um, you know what consumer protection means means to you, and and some of the cases maybe you worked on. Yeah, I, um, I guess it, you know it would be representing consumers, which is you know people that people that buy things in the financial marketplace, and so that could be you know. My cases have been everything from representing people against debt collectors, against internet payday lenders, a lot of insurance companies, um, banks and mortgage companies. And when I started my law firm, it it, kind of coincided with the financial crisis and the mortgage meltdown that we had. And so um, I started getting calls from people all over the state that basically, you know, in a nutshell said, I was having a hard time with my mortgage. The bank told me to, you know, pay this much or do these things. I did all the things and now I'm in foreclosure. Hmm. And so I, so I worked, I went deep down the rabbit hole in terms of, uh, systematic mortgage servicing misconduct by by big banks and you know developed a practice of running all over the state representing people that had been harmed by those big banks hmm. well uh sounds like you were on the right side of that fight <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i i definitely i i tell people and i mean i i sleep really well at night doing what i do and a lot of times you know, you may have heard this, but lawyers don't necessarily have the best reputation. And what really? And so often, I'll, so often I'll meet people and they'll be like, "Oh, a lawyer? What kind of lawyer?" And I'll say, "Well, I'm the kind of lawyer that represents people against banks and insurance companies." And they're like, "Oh, okay, I like that kind of lawyer." <laughs> so. Um, so your uh, your campaign website also mentions that you worked on some campaign finance cases. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, I, uh, John Modell is is did what I 
what I do, which is represent people against big banks. And he and I worked on a lot of these cases together. And then he went on to be the commissioner of political practices. And that was around the time that uh, the, the infamous meth house documents were turned over to the commissioner's office. And in a nutshell, again, what kind of what was discovered or what, you know, evidence was that basically uh, out-of-state dark money groups came into Montana and told a bunch of legislators and contested Republican primaries, we'll get you elected if in exchange, uh, when you get elected, you do what we tell you to do. And sadly, there was a... um, handful of of legislative candidates that signed off on that and subscribed to a program that was called the works where Mm -hmm. they you know they agreed to coordinate with out-of-state dark money groups to get elected and and many of them did Mm -hmm. and so we i when that all kind of unfolded and then i i reached out to the commissioner and said uh because it was really a unfair thing what those same legislators that had frankly cheated, uh, those that got elected were working hard to make sure that the commissioner's office didn't have the funding necessary to investigate and prosecute those those cases. And so I reached out and um, my law partner and I volunteered to represent the state for free so that, you know, they could be prosecuted. Hmm. Wow. Well, it's, okay. So you've had an, a very colorful legal career already, but then in addition to that, you've also set up a, a started a restaurant in Billings. Um, what kind of restaurant is it? Yeah, it's called Local Kitchen and Bar. It would be uh, what a uh, casual farm to table kind of concept. I, you know, it's it's good food and. That's because I'm not the one cooking. We're we're very fortunate to have a an amazing chef and co co owner. But um, yeah, it's a small restaurant. It's on the west side of Billings, and frankly, our motivation was we we live right up the street, and we there lived in a neighborhood where there's you know, lots of people that like to eat, and just a handful of chain restaurants and. And I would always say to my wife, I wish we had some choice that wasn't a, a chain. And so that got the ball rolling and, and we were I'm darn proud that we were able to see that, you know, dream come come into reality. And we have a what I would call it a neighborhood, small neighborhood restaurant that that you know brings the community together in our little neighborhood in Billings. <laughs> That's a great story. So yeah. Now, now you're running for Congress, and you haven't held elected office yet, but how does your experience as a lawyer and a small business owner help you as you're, as you're getting into politics now? Yeah, so I, you know, I've never run for office, but I certainly have seen the way sausage gets made, and I've seen it by looking at the documents firsthand in the in the political corruption cases that I worked on. Mm-hmm. I've also been heavily involved at, from the outside, but you know, our, our Montana Supreme court has been targeted by dark money 
corporate interest groups for the last several cycles. And so I've been very involved in trying to keep those groups at bay. And um, so I, I guess have seen kind of the the threat we're under with with what's going on behind the scenes in politics. And I'd say that that definitely informs, you know, I know that the stakes are high. I know that things don't just need a little tweak. I, you know, that, that our, our political system is broken. There's a small handful of insiders that have a lot of the power and, and my, having my law firm for years now and a restaurant now as well for the last couple of years. I have a perspective as a small business owner mm -hmm. that I think cat cat, you know, I mean, our restaurant has 13 employees. Mm -hmm. And so unlike a lot of, a lot of political candidates, I have, you know, I, I know the struggles of, of running a small business and, and, and having to jump through hoops and things that, you know, do feel inefficient and do feel like, you know, I mean, sometimes it can feel like not only is government not helping you, but it's getting in your way. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance there, right? I mean, we want, you know, I, I feel like I, I have a really good perspective because on the one hand, I represent people that get ripped off when corporations are allowed to, you know, do whatever they want or, you know, kind of run roughshod over people. On the other side, I've gone through the struggles of opening a restaurant and, and you know, f w watching how hard sometimes it can be to work with government. So I feel like I, I bring a unique perspective that comes from both sides. Yeah, both sides. That's, that's what I was going to say, too. Interesting. Okay, so you were the first candidate to enter the race back in August 2017. Um, how long had you been thinking about running before that? And and how has your campaign evolved since then? Yeah, I had never contemplated running for office. Um, <laughs> every everything about that special election troubled me, and you know, kind of my yeah. You know, and I and I know that everything about it tr troubled not just me but all Montanans. This you know, not just assaulting somebody, but lying to law enforcement about it. But the thing to me was the, the lack of accountability and, and the haggling over um, having to go through the same process that everyone that commits a crime has to go through, you know, by virtue of power and money. I believe to my core that no one is above the law. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much power you have. Nobody's above the law. And so that got me, that got me thinking and motivated and, and, you know, but that's, that's kind of part of the equation because the other part is I just, I just really see our representative and frankly, a lot of uh, the majority of Washington, they're working for, lobbyists for special interests for wealthy donors and not for everyone else and we all you know s sit there and go how come our government's so dysfunctional how come it doesn't work for us but we all really do know the answer and it's not a party thing it's a there's there's a system set up where where our representatives aren't representing us they're representing 
corporations and wealthy special interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, so he jumped in. It sounds like he made that decision very quickly, you know, after the special election, I guess, finished up in late May and and you announced in, in August. It was only a couple months later. But Well, um, I mean, I really, you know, it started with a... Um, I mean, I, I made calls, I would ask, you know, please tell me, please tell me there's a plan here. Please tell me there's someone in line to run and, you know, and didn't, didn't hear anything. And then an article came out about, well, there's no, you know, there's no bench and kind of everyone was wringing their hands. And I thought, well, you know, if, Unless and until someone better steps forward, I'll, I'm going to do this because yeah, because yeah. I can win and then I can do I can do a good job for people. Yeah, and sometimes that's the best way to to do things in life is it's kind of spontaneously and and but also deliberately and and uh, and so yeah, now we're at a very different stage in the race. I mean, we're sort of at the peak of the primary, um, at least going into it and. So how are you feeling now? How does how has your campaign evolved? Well, it's it's a, evolved in a lot of ways that yeah. you know, I mean it's when I filed, I mean my mindset was the same as it's like, you know, you're like I'm going to have a party and then you don't know if anybody's going to show up. And and so I I figured well, I'll file and we'll see what happens and people have been showing up and it's been really amazing. Just, I mean, I can give you 10 different examples of things, just, you know, people stepping up and doing things to help, help us move forward in a positive way. And so I'm in August, I was by myself, not surrounded by, you know, anyone that I trusted or knew what they were doing. And now I'm surrounded by a lot of people that I trust that know what they're doing and, and more importantly, I'm surrounded by you know, people all over the state that sh- share my motivation, share, sh- you know, believe like I do that we can fix our government by by ha- sending people that are actually willing to represent people. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten, I mean, that, you know, everyone uses the word grassroots and it's, it gets, you know, um, it loses its meaning. I've gotten to watch what that word really means in real time with people doing amazing things, showing up, um, you know, volunteering. I mean, I, as an example of many, and when I was just in Helena last week, I met a woman for the first time who's been taking the bus from East Missoula to our Missoula field office every single week to make phone calls hmm. and and you know it's i really believed in my core that you know ours is a it's not a john heenan campaign it's an all of us community service campaign and people are responding to that message and 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 doing things to help me win because you know help us win hmm. well that's a nice story um yeah, because East Missoula is not, I mean, it's not that close to Missoula. you got to go through Hellgate Canyon, and it's really windy and cold. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's, and that's, uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, people just, 
every day people show up at our office here at, at you know other offices that we now have across the state it's just really cool you know and people say well i don't want to make phone calls what else do you have and we'll give them something else and, yeah and pe- people want to be a part a part of it you know and that's it's 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 exactly as attended so and so um it's it's been cool cool so yeah it sounds like um you have a pretty extensive field operation do you have campaign offices around the state opened up or at least staging locations or yeah so we've opened offices and have people in missoula helena bozeman billings of course this is our right our home base here in billings and and are sending people to you know we've got got somebody that's going to make the rounds in advance of our next trip to eastern montana Uh, so yeah there's and what's really cool is how things are kind of organically moving now Um, i mean an example i could give you is i you know i got on facebook the other day and there was a a students for heenan (laughs) uh, page and that i didn't even know it was happening it was just uh college students and high school students around the state started it and now they're off and running and have their own thing. We've got kind of a similar thing. There's a, a women for Heenan and, you know, I, I saw that pop up and asked my wife if she knew anything about it. And she said, no, that's just some supporters that are you now off and running. And so that's, that really is what our campaign's all about. And so it's just, it's cool to watch people, you know, get on board. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, let's, uh, I only have a couple questions left, but let's, let's shift over maybe to, to actual like policy positions. You've come out strong for universal health care, uh, planned parenthood, other progressive stances. You, you definitely establish yourself as the, as a progressive candidate. And, and that's a great way to energize, you know, the left wing base, but if you win the Democratic nomination, you're going to have to compete against Greg Gianforte for independence and probably win over some Republicans, too. So how, how are you appealing to those groups? And I know it's early, that's an early it's early to ask that question right now. But, you know, how, how are you reaching out to independents and Republicans and, and moderates? And, and have you received any endorsements from any Republicans yet? Yeah, you know, and. It's not, it's, it's certainly not too soon to ask that question. Um, and frankly, since we filed in August, I've been, you know, for good, bad, or otherwise, running to win in November. And so if that doesn't mean I, I disregard the primary, I know that I need to win a primary. Of course, you have to win the primary to, to even have a chance to win the nomination you know, or win the, win the seat. But I've, I've spent a lot of my time doing things like traveling around Eastern Montana, traveling into the High Line, and what the you know so-called experts will say to me is, uh, "What are you doing, John? You know, there's no Democratic votes to be gained out in Eastern Montana. You're wasting your time. Just hit the big cities. That's where all the voters are." And I, I say and I believe, you know, well, that's. I'm not running to just get democratic voters. I'm running to, you know, get the support of Montanans. And I think most Montanans don't view themselves as, you know, party first, Montanan second. Most don't really even 
you know, give much thought to it. And I think our, the biggest party in Montana is, is the independents, the people that, you know, don't identify with a particular party. They just want people to represent them and solve problems. And so, you know, I, I'm working hard to get independents. I'm working hard to get Republicans right now in the middle of a democratic primary. And I tell you that I am, I mean, I, Honestly, every single day in Billings, somebody will come up to me and say, thanks for running. You've got my support and I'm a Republican. And I say, thank you. You know, I mean, that's not, and, and I, you know, those are my clients, the people that, the people that get cheated by the bank and now their home's going to get foreclosed on the people that get tricked into paying thousand percent APR on a payday loan. They're not singled out as being you know, Republican, you know, Republicans aren't targeted in those or Democrats aren't targeted. It's, you know, they're, they're all victims mm-hmm. and, and all get cheated. And so, you know, I've been successful, um, in front of juries across Montana explaining when banks and debt collectors and those types of outfits, you know, violate the law, hurt people. And, so I don't see that most Montanans see it through that lens. So, um, no, I'm I'm working hard to get su- get support across the board. And mm-hmm. I also would say my positions, things like uh, like dark money, you know, which mm-hmm. I just feel like is the root of all evil. <laughs> well, we as Montanans across the board, I mean, seventy five percent of us, you know, voted directly to say that corporations aren't people and money is not speech. And we directed our elected officials to go overturn Citizens United. And, you know, our representative now has done nothing to, to fulfill what we as Montanans told him to go do. And so that's not a, you know, that's not an, corruption is not an issue that's like a progressive issue. Corruption's of America, all of us saying, why, do, why is our politics so corrupt? Yep. And, and healthcare, the same thing. I mean, I, you know, we have a broken healthcare system. Our, you know, premiums are going up. Uh, America, you know, our, we pay 20% of our GDP in healthcare. There's no other industrialized nation that pays more than 10% of its GDP in healthcare. We're getting fleeced by health insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. And there's nothing conservative about coddling you know the pharmaceutical industry or the health insurance industry it's it's corporate welfare and i think it's very conservative to say you know let's find a let's find a a better economic system and so i think you know a number of those issues it's not a left right liberal progressive you know liberal and conservative spectrum it's a, it's a spectrum of common sense and what's getting in the way of common sense. And always what's getting in the way of common sense is, is corruption, you money. know, the yeah. swamp, money, <laughs> the people that like the system paying lots of money to politicians to make sure that status quo is maintained. True. Well, I think that message is going to resonate with a lot of people. So, you know, best of luck to you on your on Thank your campaign you, and 
I, you know, I really appreciate your time. I, <clears throat> I guess just one last question. <clears throat> and by the way, this, this episode interview is going to post at the end of March. So maybe you can, when I ask it, you can talk about April. So <clears throat> my last question is, you know, what, could, could you tell the listeners a little about what your plans are for April? Um, not take my foot off the gas pedal. We've, you know, we've put over 30, now it's over 31,000 miles on my car. We've done over 150 town hall style meetings where we, you know, come into a town and invite everyone in advance and people can show up whether they agree or disagree. And, and we have thoughtful conversations and, and then I head down the road to the next. And so we're, you know, we're, we're not going to let up. We'll, we'll keep doing that. And, and really, you know, money's important and it's important to raise it, but I think it's gotten lost in the noise that, I mean, at the end of the day, Montana is a, we all know one another or know somebody that knows the person. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing it old school. I'm doing it the way that it used to be you know, old school politics, traveling around and talking to people. And we'll just see whether that works or not. It sounds like those truck driving skills are coming back in handy again. <laughs> yeah, totally. They, they totally are. Yep. No does. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, just keep heading down the road and, and don't complain. Keep on trucking. <laughs> keep on trucking. That's exactly right. You might right. have to adopt that as the new campaign slogan. So <laughs> I appreciate it, Dan. I don't see why not. That's the perfect campaign slogan, especially if you got a commercial driver's license. So, um, thanks so much, John. And uh, hey, thank you. Yeah. My pleasure, Dan. Best of luck. Take care. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. On the last episode, I did a last word segment that featured Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke announcing a new National Parks Infrastructure Maintenance Fund. This week, Zinke is back again after making what many are saying was an inappropriate comment to a Japanese-American congresswoman from Hawaii, Colleen Hanabusa, during a March 15th House Natural Resources Committee hearing. The purpose of the hearing was to go over the FY 2019 Interior Department budget, and when Representative Hanabusa asked a question about why the Interior Department had zeroed out a grant program to preserve U.S.-Japanese internment camps, Secretary Zinke replied by greeting her in Japanese. <laughs> that triggered some backlash from the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, who demanded an apology from Zinke, and then Zinke didn't give one. <laughs> now, it's not that bad. And if you listen to his full answer, you'll see that he actually complied with Representative Hanabusa's request to take another look at the program. But it raises some issues that merit some discussion. I'll play the whole interaction from the beginning of her question to the end of his answer so you can get the whole context. Miss, uh, Miss Hanabusa, you're next. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Welcome, Secretary Zinke. I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of very small projects in terms of your whole budget, but ones that are very significant and important, especially to Hawaii. I, I sit before you the granddaughter of, of two internees. Both of my grandfathers were interned during World War II. One in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and one in a place called Honouli Uli uh, in Hawaii, which people did not know about. 
I didn't find out about the fact that my grandfather was interned on Oahu for, the, for a lot of the wartime until he was 80-something years old because they didn't speak about it. And that's been the problem that many face. The Japanese-Americans who served in World War II, as you know, probably the most decorated unit to, to date in the history of the military, and the 100th and the 442nd, as well as those who were interned, just did not speak about it. My grandfather was born in Hawaii, and uh, in essence, a citizen by birth, though we were a territory then, and he did not speak about it. This president's budget zeroes out what is, I think, a, a really nominal amount compared to your whole budget. It's about $2 million. But what it does do is eliminates the grant program that have at least kept various institutions throughout the United States who are trying to keep this history alive. Because I believe that it is essential that we as a nation recognize our darkest moments so that we don't have them repeat again. So, Mr. Secretary, I'd like to know, even with the president zeroing it out, are you committed to continue the grant programs that are identified, I believe, as the Japanese American Confinement Sites Grants Program, which were funded in 2017, will we see it funded again in 2018? Oh, uh, I think it's still Ohio gozaimasu, but that's okay. I guess it's appetite. Uh, but the, to your point, the priorities were set that fix fix the park service, fix our stuff first. And this, and this program may have been caught up on that. I read about it this morning, and, and so I'll, I will look into it. I, I, I'm committed to understand the, to making sure the importance of this, and I agree with you, it, it is important. We still have a grant program, but I think it probably got caught up in the priorities of, of fixing our, when I say our stuff, interior facilities, bridges, pipelines, and infrastructure first before we extend grants to other programs, uh, that's likely what happened. They got caught up on that. I will look at it, and I'll work with you on it, because I think it is important. So can you tell me that even if the president zeroes it out, would you have the discretion uh, to, to, I guess, sort of, if Congress approves it, is that what you would need for Congress to, to give a line item on it for you to override the president? Um, well, the will of Congress uh, always on the budget is, is 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 looked at seriously. So if if Congress if Congress moves, I'm sure we're going to support Congress. But you have my commitment to look at it because I th I think it was an oversight in the in in the budget again because our priorities were on on national park operations, and this is probably one of the programs that was a result of that. I'll work with you on it and, and look at it. Thank you. So and much. I understand the importance of it to American history. Okay, so first. This made me cringe a little right when it happened, or right when I heard it. I myself am Asian American, and what Zinke did was something that happened to me when I was growing up in Montana, getting singled out for being Asian. And that happens all over the place, it's not just Montana, but I happened to be the kid that looked different when I was growing up. And when this happened to me when I was a kid, it was usually by my friends, who meant it in good humor, and not bullies. And I believe this is the mindset Zinke was coming from. 
Remember, Ryan Zinke used to serve in the House of Representatives on that committee, so he probably knows Colleen Hanabusa pretty well. But it's still embarrassing to get singled out in front of people for looking a certain way, and Zinke did it at the highest level of federal government in a publicly televised hearing. And he just chose to do it to the Asian American member. Why didn't he say, oh, hola, or oh, buenos dias, to the Hispanic members of the committee? But I also have to give Zinke and Hanabusa both some credit here for trying to make this a playful thing, because he said konnichiwa, which in Japanese is a typical midday greeting. And Representative Hanabusa didn't miss a step. After he said konnichiwa, she said, I think it's still ohayo gozaimasu, but that's okay. Ohayo gozaimasu means good morning in Japanese. But then Zinke checks his watch and goes, well, I guess it's after 10. Not only did he go there by greeting her in Japanese, he almost started arguing with her about what time you're supposed to switch from good morning to good day. Zinke goes on to admit that he had no idea what she was talking about and reassured her that he understands the importance of preserving this history and would take another look at the program. But he missed an opportunity there to mention and make a connection with her about his home state. Montana has Fort Missoula, which is currently the largest intact World War II internment site, with most major federal buildings of the era still being used by the federal government. And during World War II, about a thousand Japanese were detained there. Fort Missoula is also mostly administered by the Forest Service and the BLM, so he could have even used it as an opportunity to pivot from the National Park Service and mention other agencies. Regardless, it was an awkward moment. But if something good can come out of it, it might be that the added attention from that moment will shine more light on an obscure but important program, and that might actually help get that program funded. So my final thought on this is that it's too bad that Zinke missed that opportunity to turn awkward banter with Representative Hanabusa into a meaningful discussion about the history that connects Hawaii and Montana. Not all of Montana's statesmen would have been so crass, though. Remember Mike Mansfield. After serving as the longest Senate Majority Leader in U.S. history, Mansfield became the longest-serving U.S. Ambassador to Japan. And I wonder how he would have answered that question. That's it for this episode of the Montana Middle. Thanks for listening. Outro music for this episode is provided by John Floridas, out of Missoula. This song is called Spinning Wheel, from his performance on the Emmy-winning Montana PBS music series, 11th and Grant. Feel his life changing, you can feel the times changing, you can feel the changes coming fast. So you can feel the more turning, so you can feel the tide turning, so you can feel the turning from the past. On and on and on it goes, it's like a wheel spinning round. Remember, you can find us at www.themontanamiddle.com and Facebook. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts and tell your friends about it. Thanks for listening. Take care. Closing, closing off release. 
Just let my feet touch the ground. 